So, I would like to share with you one of my favourite bits from the Bible. So, this is Romans 12.5. So, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. Now, I find the imagery around kind of hospitality and family in the Bible incredibly powerful. And I kind of own it in my heart, and it's partly why I love fostering and adoption and all that kind of stuff. But there's something around being family together, which I find just it's so core to exactly what we are about as believers, as, as people who follow Jesus. I just want to show you one picture. This is from a few Christmases back inside my house. It's quite a thin one, but I've got a variety of people around the table there. You might recognize Rob Adicott with a lovely crown, comes straight out of a Christmas cracker. Various kids are all set around, and we've got the food laid out, and there's nice drinks and wine, all that kind of stuff. And I absolutely love that picture, partly because it reminds me of friends, it reminds me of family, but there's also something around coming around that dinner table. Does anyone kind of know what I'm talking about? That wonderful moment where you can sit and you can be and you can journey together and share stories and cry and laugh and do family. But do you know what? To make Christmas Day happen, it takes quite a lot of effort. It takes a lot of people mucking in. But what I noticed about that is that actually when people come around your house, you very naturally kind of start to give jobs out, don't you? You say to the kids, okay, your job is to put the pop on the table or your job is to put a chair over there or your job is to look after the games or someone else looks after the cooking and somebody else cuts the carrots. Do you know what I mean? Everyone kind of mucks in and they do it really, really naturally. And I want to use that as a bit of an image. Because that's exactly the same way that church works. Actually, to make this thing happen, it requires all of us to kind of muck in, to do a little bit ourselves, to come alongside, to work out where there's a need, to do all of that stuff, to make sure that actually when we all come together, there's a feast that we can all enjoy and we are all part of and that we've all given to at some level. And so that is a beautiful little segue for me to introduce the opportunity for you to get involved with something and that involvement is the fact that over the next few months we've got some wonderful opportunities for you just to give at a really simple level and we need some help putting out some chairs just like my dinner table we need some help of people who are just going to make sure that there's some space where everyone can sit down and that they can enjoy our services together and they can do this stuff so we are going to be coming around after our service there's going to be four of us who are going to have clipboards and apparently there's a prize for whoever gets the most amount of names, but I don't know yeah. if that's true. I haven't seen um, <laughs> No, we haven't seen an actual <laughs> prize. Um, but we would love it if you could just look and just give a little bit. Imagine you were in my family home and you just put one chair at the table. That's exactly the same image, image that I want you to hold inside your head. So if you can give just a little bit, a little bit of time, we're going to come round. Please put your name down for as many slots as you could possibly imagine in the next few months, and that would really help us out. Everyone mucks in just a little bit. Just a couple of times a year, Matt just said. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a lot. It's just whenever you can make it. And hopefully between us as a family, we will hit all of those things that we actually need. Thank you. Um, 2024, a year of dwelling in the Word of God, dwelling more accurately in on the who God is through His Word. Just a reminder of where we were last week. Last week, we um, started getting hold of Paul's words to the Colossians. And looking at this one verse, Colossians 3.16, where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we began exploring how for all of its complexities and strangeness, uh, the Bible is the single most trustworthy source of truth about God and actually 
the cosmos and our own lives that we have to get our hands around. And we said it's important to recognize um, that it can be difficult. And remember this, we've begun digging in a little bit. We said it's not 66 books. It's, it's not one book, it's 66. And actually 39 of those uh, Old Testament, they're prequels to the main event. Don't take offense at the language. It's theologically true. They're prequels. They're pointing forward. They're a foreshadow of the main thing, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. So we've got to be careful not to call a shadow a person. And we're going to be doing more of that later this year, thinking how do we get into the Old Testament without shooting ourselves in the foot and saying that it says things about God that are simply not true. Um, the consumer culture that we live in, we just looked a little bit at how it pushes us to see the Bible as this kind of self-help book, where in a kind of a transactional sense, we get as much out of it for as little effort as we can put in. And we said, whilst it's not easy, actually the best things rarely are. It's like buried treasure. Um, Dave and I, we're, um, what's that program called that we like? Detectorists, Yeah. The Word of God, it's like treasure that's buried. It's not just there on the top of the grass. We've got to dig our way into it. And at times, you know what? You come at it and you don't find any gold. And you've got to come back the next day. So we've just been honest about how the Word of God can actually feel um, quite a challenge. Finally, we started thinking about how dwelling, far from being this private spirituality that sometimes in our hyper-individualized world, we reduce it to. Actually, um, it transforms us. So whatever circumstance we're going into, if we've really dwelt with God, the circumstances get changed because of where we've been with God. I share with you my prayer for us as a church this year. Lord, will you grow us as a church who live from a place of dwelling on who you are? I think we will see incredible things if that grows in our experience. People who are living um, out of uh, seeing who God is and allowing themselves to be seen by God. I want to read you a quote from Max Licardo. I don't think I read this last week. Did I read a Max Licardo quote last week? No, good. You're looking like we can't remember, which is entirely reasonable. I should remember. says this. I like it. I love the honesty and passion for the word of God that Max Licardo has. Ah, I can see now. I've just taken my glasses off. That's, I can't see you, but I can see what I'm trying to read. Um, this is a peculiar book. Words crafted in another language. Deeds done in a, in a distant era. Events recorded in a far-off land. It's surprising that anyone reads it. It's too old. Some of its writings date back 5,000 years. It's too bizarre. The book speaks of incredible floods, fires, earthquakes, and people with supernatural abilities. It's too radical. The Bible calls for undying devotion to a carpenter who calls himself the Son of God. Logic says this book shouldn't survive. The Bible has been banned, burned, scoffed, and ridiculed. Scholars have mocked it as foolish. Kings have branded it as illegal. Yet it remains the single most popular book in all of history. There is no way on earth to explain it, which perhaps is the only explanation. The Bible's durability is not found on earth. It is found in heaven. For the millions who have tested its claims and claimed its promises, there is but one answer. The Bible is God's book and God's voice. It's a good quote, isn't it? Um, Today we're going to look at the second half of that verse from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Um, But let's read the whole verse together. You ready for this? Nice and loud and clear. One, two, three. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God 
with gratitude in your hearts. I want us to begin by unpacking what this verse can look like um, just in the normal flow of life. And it's worth saying that we are going to be swimming against the tide if we really try and dwell in the Word of God and allow it to transform the circumstances around us. We live in a nation and a time when biblical literacy is an all-time low. The number of people in the UK who read the Bible at least weekly has fallen from 16% in 1973 to 9% in 2010, and the trend has continued in that direction. Uh, We live in a cultural moment, even whereas churches, and we are often um, hearing this message, how can we make discipleship easier? How can the buy-in points be easier? And I wonder whether we should be just full-on challenging that narrative and saying, do you know what? Following the Jesus of the Bible takes determination, and actually there's far easier things that you can do with your life. It's tough, but there is no better place on earth than here, around the Word of God, to discover purpose, to discover what justice really looks like, to unpack how love really does work in our world. As Peter so eloquently said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, this is so difficult, but I'm not going anywhere, because you have the words that transform life. So how do we do it? I want to start with something that perhaps is really obvious But I think against the culture that we're living in, which is not all bad, not all good, we said this last week, culture is a real mix, Um, and we're looking for the kingdom culture to invade our culture, aren't we? But in the culture that we're living in, we need to recognize that perhaps we need one another more than we think. In this um, individualized world that we live in, we can think about Bible reading almost exclusively as this individual spirituality, which in part is true. There should be an individual element to us getting hold of the Word of God. But the more we read the Bible, the more I think what we see is that we're invited to mine its riches together with one another, like our verse says. C.S. Lewis, um, who I'm reading The Great Divorce at the moment, and I love one of the images that he paints of hell is where people gradually, incrementally move further away from one another. And I think as people who are kind of gravitating around Jesus, we should be doing the very opposite. So let's just unpack Paul's words to kick off um, before we look at some of the hows. So the the second half of this verse, the word teach, if we can have that up on the screen, that'd be great. Um, The word teach carries this expectation of learning, but with an understanding that, that Jewish minds would have had, which they'd have been familiar with the idea that you haven't learned something until you've done it. That's the point at which learning is completed. Hold, hold that thought, because, oh my goodness, as Christians in the West, we so often don't do that. We do a different type of learning, which is all around um, knowledge, and we end up with these massive heads and very small bodies and small feet and small hearts, when we're supposed to be balanced people. The word admonish, this old-fashioned English word, your, your version may say something different, but translated, it just means this. It means to put into your mind something in order to direct, warn, or instruct. If you like, you could think about somebody with their trusted compass, an experienced traveler, who no matter how many parts of the world they travel to, um, they know that they are not going to get there without putting into their bag a compass that they can take out and say, where am I and where am I headed? Where's my true north? The word admonish, to put in, to direct, to warn, instruct. And then there's this one another. Okay, and this is interesting. It means, guess what it means? It means exactly that. There's no other translation that you can get hold of. It just means one another. 
But this is really important, as we're going to see this morning, I hope. The one another is not a really nice add-on or an option to your church life. It's actually central to Paul's understanding of how the Word of God comes alive and works in us. I want to be a little bit provocative, but here's the thing. I don't believe any one of us can follow Jesus with them and the Bible and the Holy Spirit and all the experience that you have without other people around them. I don't think it works. And there's, we can have that discussion if you'd like to. I don't think any of you would want to. But there's something about the one another's of, of, of Scripture um, that I think we need to get hold of afresh. The Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit are basically Paul's way of speaking about two things. Um, one, the Old Testament, the Torah, and secondly, the stories of Jesus' life that hadn't yet been formed into our New Testament and how the Holy Spirit brings that combination to life. That's what Paul's talking about when he says um, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Paul is saying, for the Word of God to come alive in you, you need one another. If that's true, and I believe it is true, um, how do we do it? How do we get hold of this? First of all, at a really basic level, we need to learn how to use the Word of God in everyday life. Like Steve Backrack has been discovering I was going to say at a later stage in life, but at mid, mid-life, Steve, right? But actually, when he memorizes it, when the stuff goes into him, it's flowing out of him. And the reason I, we asked Steve to share was, we were just talking the other day, and there's just this flow of life because Steve's loving what he is putting into him. He's dwelling in the Word of God. But it's an everyday thing. You know, we are good at certain phrases, aren't we? How's your football team doing? Um, how are the kids? How, oh, yeah, all right. How's, um, what about, what's the weather doing today? Um, what I just think of, just shout out a few other things that we are just, they just roll off our tongue, everyday language. How's your weekend? Any others? How are, yeah, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah. There are things that kind of just form part of our natural flow of language. What if we decided intentionally that the Bible would become more part of our everyday language without sounding religious or weird? Because nobody needs more religion or more weirdness. What if it became part of the everyday flow? So maybe, you know, I read this thing in the Bible and it made me think about you. What, what, what do you reckon about it? Or I'm struggling with this story that I read in the Bible. What do you think it could mean? And with those that don't know Jesus yet, just to be really upfront, I read this story and it's made me think, and actually I love this story here, and it made me think of you. What do you think of this story? Are there any stories that, have, that, you, that you know from the Bible that kind of that make you stop and wonder? You know, we shouldn't miss it, even this week, the power of stories told well, an ITV drama about the post office. That what does it do? Well, it creates conversation, an outcry, a change in the law, whatever you may think of all those things. Actually, story is powerful. I wonder if we've missed it when it comes just to the everyday stuff. Who would be the best model for this, Steve Backrack? Actually, no, Jesus is just the perfect model. Steve, close second. Jesus did it. Even though he held the words of eternal life inside of him, he chose to constantly talk about Scripture. How do we know? Well, the Gospels are full of it. He quotes from 27 um, of the Old Testament books, over 10% of the 1,800 verses of his recorded words are him quoting directly from Scripture or alluding to it. When he was tempted by the devil himself, he didn't say, do you know who I am? He quoted Scripture. On the cross, can you imagine? In agony, hung on the cross, because he loves us so much. Quotes from Scripture. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From one of the Psalms. But you know, what I love most about Jesus' use of Scripture is how he uses it in the everyday. When he's traveling somewhere with his closest friends. When he's having a meal with a bunch of people that others think he shouldn't be having a meal with. When he's meeting people for the first time and everyone's told him, oh, they're really important. Or he's meeting somebody that's really broken and he wants to have a conversation with them. He just uses scripture normally over and over again. So maybe one challenge for you this week. Can you use something from the Bible in your everyday life without sounding weird? Could you do that in your workplace with, a, with somebody that you might not normally do it with? You know, another aspect of this one another, something important that we can miss, um, is when we're reading Paul's letters, they are written to people in their homes, And as you look at the history of Christianity, um, where it's taken root and where it's really grown, you find this common thread of people gathered around the Word of God in their homes, whether that's a flat, your house, rented, shared, whether you're visiting, whatever it may be. And you can certainly say this about Christianity, is that it is a global movement that begins at home. That is the history of Christianity in terms of just the, the working out where you see it, where these small fires around the world that begin to blaze. bit of relevant history for you. Ramsey McMullen, professor of church history at Yale University, he estimates that in every generation from Jesus onward, there were 50,000 people added to the church, up until the um, the conversion of Constantine in 312 AD, when the church and state joined forces and the church began to weaken, interestingly. So between 5 and 8% of the Roman population at one point were followers of Jesus. But get this, they didn't have a single church building among them. They were met in homes, not more than 20 people normally. Every now and again, occasionally they would gather in these larger public spaces, which they loved to do, but it was homes to homes. So when Paul wrote to the letter to the Colossians, um, he wasn't writing to a congregation of 50,000 people. He was writing a letter that would be read to a group of 10 taken next door, read to another group of 20, taken next door to another group. And we see it pictured in Acts 2, 46, 47. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, those larger gatherings, but then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. For those of you that are newer to Welton, we would love you to know that this is one of the many passages that speak about our vision for what we do when we're not here on a Sunday, midweek, when we gather as church. And we talk about it being up, in, and out. And it's basically the up, we're learning to love God more. We're growing in our love for God. The in, we're growing in our love for one another. And the out, we're growing in our impact. So actually, when we come together, we're thinking, how do we release one another into the rest of the week? You know, I love many of Wesley's hymn, those two brothers, and I'm sure you do as well. And in their day, they were hugely controversial. But it's interesting. You can read a book by a guy called Crider, and um, he reflects on the, the demise of Methodism over the years. And he says this. He says that Methodism, the turning point for it, when, the de- when demise started happening, at one point, there were 27,341 members. It was buzzing, absolutely buzzing. But he, he points back to this moment where the vision in Methodism went from the gathered, um, the gathered community together on a Sunday and these midweek groups that were radically gathering around the Word of God. The moment it shifted to let's just gather on a Sunday is the moment where demise started to happen. And there's a danger in our church experience if we are only coming to these larger gatherings that we become fellowships without fellowship. 
That's a real danger. And you see it up and down the country, you see it in the West. It's why we often use this picture of two shoes in our church and unashamed for putting this up there and saying, actually, in our church, we really believe that you need a left, a left shoe and a right shoe. And your left shoe would be coming along on a Sunday morning where we do praise and Bible teaching that we really do need. And we do the togetherness of being across the generations. And then midweek, we gather in smaller groups where we're known, where we look one another in the eye, where we ask, what does the Bible tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? And really importantly, we say, what are you going to do? And then we get to feedback week by week what's, what's happened. Wolfgang, Wolfgang, Wolfgang Simpson, he's a renowned missiologist, says this. I like this quote. He says, where is the hardest place to be truly spiritual? It's in a home where we are known best. The easiest place is behind a pulpit in special robes. When true Christianity leaves the home, it amounts to spiritual defeat. I want us to be clear, I love our Sundays, and we're really committed to great Bible teaching in our church. But it is essential for our discipleship to get our heads around this, that actually, you know what happens if you've got two shoes and you take one off? For the first hour, you're going to walk in a straight line okay. For the second hour and the third, you're going to start going around in circles. It starts to hurt if you take off one of your shoes and keep on walking. I want to invite um, Fee Skinner who's going to come up. Fee and Ben have become good friends in the last, I suppose, year. And it's just been a joy um, watching both of these guys just start working out who they are in their own relationships with God. And um, Fee um, is what me and Liz would call a legend. All right? So, um, but there's a, it's other than the fact that she's a legend that um, we're going to ask her a couple of questions. It's because we're, put, we're in the same house group together. So, Fee, I'm going to ask you, first of all, I know that you've been finding your way into the Bible. Um, can you tell us um, how that's been? Um, yeah, so to give that some context, um, for my birthday last year, I asked Ben for a book um, just to kind of help me get into the Bible. I've, like, I've been to Sunday school for my entire childhood, and I knew lots and lots of Bible stories, and I didn't actually know the Bible. I didn't actually know how it goes, what the journey is within the Bible. Um, so I started in Genesis, and that was six months ago, and I'm at 1 Samuel, so you'll know that's not very far, but that's because I'm really unpicking it as I go along and trying to get my head around it, and um, sometimes I'm finding it confusing, and sometimes I'll go to Dave, and we'll have a nice chat over a glass of wine where he tries to help me understand something, or I've texted you and gone, oh, I don't get it, will you help me? Um, so it's been really interesting, but also quite challenging. All right, that's cool. That's, that's really good to hear, isn't it? What about in your house group? What kind of, what do you do? What kind of, what difference has that made? Um, so the house group has been brilliant. I joined it a few months ago. There's lots of them here today. Hello. <laughs> um, and we start by just catching up and then somebody will be leading it, uh, often Scott and Sarah. Um, and we go through three questions, four questions, not three questions, four questions. Um, the first one that you mentioned earlier is what is it? We look at a passage in the Bible and we look at what is it telling us about God. Then we look at what is it telling us about ourselves or people in general. And then we go on to talk about what is it actually going to do for our lives over the coming week or so. And have you got, I'm just putting you on the spot here, mm. but have you got an example of where that has actually made an impact from the group into everyday life? Yes, um, that is put me on the spot. That was not a prepared question. <laughs> um, but yes, there, there's been lots of things, actually, lots of challenges. Um, one I can think of, um, I can't remember what the passage was, but I know that it challenged me to, well, I challenged myself from the passage that we've been reading to talk to other people about God. Um, 
which I have done at work. As you know, I don't really shut up about it. Um, I talked to my colleagues, and it meant at Christmas, one of my colleagues, uh, Lizzie, actually joined us, and she's now been twice. Um, so that's been really positive. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's so good, isn't it, when we see those connections. All right, give Fee a round of applause. Thanks, Fee. Brilliant. Um, if, you're a, if you're a house group leader in our church or a group leader of some sort where discipleship's going on, where we're doing this up, in and out, would you just stand up for a moment? Come on, quick as you can, just stand up where you are. If you're leading a group um, where discipleship is going on, that could be a house group, it could be Ali, you definitely need to be standing up with the youth. So it could be youth, it could be something different. Holy Spirit, we just pray your blessing, your rich blessing on these wonderful leaders who help us as a church family to love you more, to love one another more, and to love those that don't know Jesus yet more. Would you bless them in Jesus' name? Thank you. Do sit down. Back to our verse, um, just before we kind of wrap up. And um, you'll get where we're headed with this. It's the one another around the Word of God that I think the Lord just wants to speak to us about. I'm going to give you a little bit of a challenge at the end. But back to the verse, just to wrap up and tell you one story. Paul makes this important connection between the Word and one another. And then he paints this lovely picture of believers learning and enjoying and celebrating who God is. He uses this phrase, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Which, by the way, is exactly the same phrase he uses um, in Ephesians 5 to a different, ch- different network of churches, which should tell us that it's something important around what Paul is seeing here. All together now is the kind of phrase that comes to mind. It's such a joyful living picture of believers encountering the word of God and then coming back the next week and saying, what happened as you lived it? I want to tell you one story um, and then we're going to end with just a kind of prayerful challenge around your own connection with the Word of God and those around you. All right? So it's a simple message this morning. But just a story that um, I love. Forgive me if you've heard me share this here before, but it's one of my favorite testimonies from our time back in London, and it's very relevant to this morning. Um, a group of believers gathering in a midweek house group. That's what we call them. Some people call them care groups, cell groups, all sorts of things. But ultimately, a group of believers gathering around the Word of God. Um, it's in London, back in southeast London. Um, and they met in this home. And looking at the Bible, they looked at the passage where Jesus says this in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And the group did exactly what Fee has talked about this morning. They dug into that. What does it tell us about God? What do we see about one another? And then importantly, this question, what are you going to do? And so this one lad in this group said, the what I'm going to do is the next time I get opportunity to do this, what it says in the Bible, I'm going to, rather than ignoring it and making loads of excuses why not to do it, I'm going to give something to that person um, in need. The person who's hungry or or who's thirsty, who needs something to drink. And um, this guy, he's driving home and... um, Just wonderfully, he just kind of felt this little bit of a nudge to stop and to buy a pint of milk from his local shop. So he did it, pulled over the car, got this pint of milk, and was kind of walking around the shop thinking, I'm looking for somebody who's thirsty, that I can do that thing that we talked about in house group tonight. He's probably thinking, I just want to get it done so I can go to house group next week because I I did something. Walking around, couldn't find anybody in the shop. So got back in the car and thought, okay, that was a bit annoying. Carried on driving. But as he was driving, just really felt the Holy Spirit nudge him to stop at a particular point on his journey home. 
So he stopped, looked up and down the road, and saw that all of the lights were off. This is kind of quarter past ten. Um, yeah, usual time, you're driving home from house group. But he really felt, he looked at this one door on this street, and he really felt he should go and knock on the door, and whoever came to the door, leave a pint of milk, and if nobody came to the door, just leave it on the doorstep. Good plan. And so I'm guessing, I don't know the exact details, whether he knocked really hard. If it had been me, it would have been a... Let's just leave it on the doorstep, and I did my thing. But he knocked. Um, nothing happened for a little while, but then he, some, this lady came to the door, um, carrying a baby, and opened the door, and in a different language, um, said something he didn't understand what it was. And in this moment of being flustered, when you're not quite sure what to say, sometimes you say stupid stuff. I definitely do that. He said, here's your milk. <laughs> and gave this um, lady with a baby this, this kind of pint of milk, at which she took the milk and just closed the door behind her. And he thought, that was so weird. Just about to go and get back in his car when the door opened again. And the lady was there again with her child, and this time with her husband, um, who's just stood there in his kind of boxer shorts, um, looking totally perplexed. Um, but in English, says to this guy, are you an angel? And this young lad, who'd just come from house group, where they'd been looking at the word of God together, said, no, why do you ask? And he said, because my wife and I, 10 minutes before you knocked on the door, we've been praying that God would provide milk for our baby. And you're the answer to our prayer. And um, he got back in the car. And can you imagine the conversation next week when he got to house group? The word of God, it works. When we take it seriously, when we chew it over together. You know, his point was that there's no way he would have done that on his own. Do you get the point? He wouldn't have sat at home and necessarily read that and thought, I know what to do today. I'll take a part of it. It was because he was with the others. And they were challenging one another. And there was some commitment. There was a unity around the word of God. So we're going to come into land with just a little bit of a challenge, all right? Why don't you close your eyes? just going to ask you a couple of questions, and this is between you and the Lord. You need to work out how to do it, or not do it. It's entirely up to you. Who are your one another's? Is God inviting you to get connected with a house group or another group around the word of God to marvel at who he is and to let it speak to you, to let it read you. Maybe for some it's doing what, you're doing what you're already doing, but expecting more as you open up that Bible together with other believers. Maybe for some here it's being willing to do what Steve has done, to store up the Word of God inside of you so it becomes part of your normal, everyday flow of life. For others, it's kind of what we were looking at last week. It's what can you do um, around technology, apps, reminders, and then accountability. And yeah, we've got to ditch the guilt, but we do need to say, help me out in this. So maybe it's just accountability to somebody else. For some of us in the room, is it talking to people that haven't yet got a relationship with Jesus and normalizing it? Bringing some just honest, real-life truth into a world that sometimes thinks Christians are strange. Lord Jesus, we pray this prayer now over one another's lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.